to another episode of Setting the Tone in the R Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we're discussing Season 8, Episode 19, which is titled Brothers and Sisters. The episode aired on April 25th, 2002. Lauren was going on the week 21 years ago. Uh, you gave me some real, real friendly ones in here. Thanks, as I skim sure. ahead. Uh, at the 2002 NFL Draft, Fresno State quarterback David Carr was selected first overall by the NFL's newest team, the Houston Texans. Uh, consistently rated as one of the worst number one picks in NFL draft history, Carr racked up a 23-76 record as a starter before becoming a journeyman backup QB until he retired in 2012. Of note, he did receive a 2011 Super Bowl ring as part of the New York Giants, though he didn't play a single snap the entire season or postseason. He is also the big brother of current NFL quarterback Derek Carr. Wasn't Derek uh, Carr those, one of the ones from Michigan State? I don't know. Those were all words. I tuned out the fuck. whole time I was reading that. Four Canadian soldiers were... Oh, I can't read that one. Very excited. Uh, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> Recalibrate. Ah. <laughs> uh, uh, four Canadian soldiers were killed in Afghanistan by friendly fire from U.S. F-16 fighter jet missile. From a U.S. F-16. I accidentally a letter. That's okay. Uh, let's try that one more time, Daniel. I'm so sorry. Uh, four Canadian soldiers were killed in Afghanistan by friendly fire from a U.S. F-16 fighter jet missile. No, the other way was better. Anyway, uh, the deaths marked the first time since the Korean War that any Canadian military member had been killed in an active combat zone that is insane yeah that's i normally don't co- don't care about like the little minutia of like the war in afghanistan and everything like that but that's bonkers i, I barely ever think of the canadian military to begin with and just like <laughs> what just what that's like 50 years just i don't think of you at all um Sadie Sink, the american actress best known for her role as max in the netflix series stranger things is born Yay. Uh, singer Lisa Left Eye Lopez, best known as the member of the R&B group TLC, dies at the age of 30 in a car crash. Lizzie, stop giving me these sad ones when I'm cold reading. Oh, my God. So- Maybe you should just Ugh. learn to not cold read. No, because my being a hot mess is half the fun of I don't know this. why. I don't uh, know why I felt like this had already happened. I'm shocked. Maybe I'm confusing it with Aaliyah. Um, I think that's what it I, is. Yeah. 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 Was, I, yeah, I, I double checked it. It, was, it said April twenty fifth, two thousand two. So yeah. this is one of the first. Well, si- because we're still in the era before cell phones are completely ubiquitous. It, mm-hmm. The very odd thing about her death is that it's on film. Like oh, they were, yeah, they were filming a documentary, and she oh. s- swerved to avoid another car, and uh, on a very. Uh, this was in like I think the Dominican Republic or Haiti or something like that. It was somewhere in like Central America, and the road. Uh, conditions there are very poor and mm-hmm. she like swerved to avoid another car and went into a ditch and flipped the car several times it was oh, it was bad god that's horrifying um really inappropriate then for me to transition over to new movies over the three-week break <laughs> but new movies over the three-week break include national lampoons van wilder high crimes changing lanes and the sweetest thing this week though the scorpion king a spin-off of the mummy movies and starring dwayne the rock johnson michael clark duncan and kelly hugh debuts and takes the top spot at the box office i was one of the damn 10 year olds in these seats because i didn't mm-hmm. know what good movies were same um 
And I think I've seen it maybe once. And Foolish by Ashanti is your new number one song. That was a rough headlines, guys. I'm really <laughs> sorry. Daniel, what else was on? At 8 p.m., Friends with the episode The One with the Baby Shower. At 8.30, we have a Friends rerun. At 9, Will and Grace with the episode What I'm Going to Assume is Fagel Attraction. I would hope so. Oh, I God, would I hope would hope so. so. I mean, it's Will and Grace. You never know. Uh, and at 9.30, just shoot me with the episode The Bad Grandma. This... And excuse you, Will and Grace would never. I don't know. Like, they like they, they they, would they're, they're torn between their, like, groundbreaking nature and their, like, network sitcominess. Like, they're... No, no. Will and Grace would never. <laughs> Inside you, there are two wolves. Uh, nope. This week's episode had 23.7 million viewers tuning in, directed by Nelson McCormick, doing just his second out of six. Previous one of his from this season was Damage is Done. And written by our fa- problematic fave writer, R. Scott Gemmel, doing his 12th out of 32. And his previous ones from this season include Beyond Repair, If I Should Fall from Grace, and Blood Sugar, Sex Magic. That and, explains a lot about this episode. Yeah. <laughs> up to and including the uh, not-so-kosher punny title. Like, uh, <laughs> we'll get into it. Uh, but Oh, uh, Oh, yeah. I just got it. Yeah. Oh. Uh, and oh. as you might imagine, because he's off in Hawaii circling the drain, no green this week. Wait, I don't get it. What's Lizzie Brothers? It's Pratt and Gallant. Ah. Brothers and <laughs> sisters. <laughs> you get it? It's a pun, but it's also like a little bit culturally insensitive. You get it? It sucks, just like this episode. All right, our previously on... Uh, this is brought to us by Abby this weekend. Can we really just skip this one? Yep. I really don't like this uh, episode. <laughs> I yeah. I mean, I won't. I, I hesitate to like completely throw the baby out with the bathwater, but like, it's uh, it's not great. It's not great. We'll start there. But like, yeah. And and I was honestly surprised at how poorly it had aged on rewatch because I didn't remember. I didn't remember disliking it this much the first Same. time around. Anyway, uh, we open the episode with Abby going back to her apartment, first time after the attack, and Luke is helping her carry in some things. And her landlord didn't touch anything while she was gone, and the bloody rag from that night of the attack is still on the sink. And Lauren had a uh, continuity note. And everybody here is going to tell me I'm fucking wrong, and I just don't remember anything, because that's my trademark for this show. But that bathroom looks differently laid out this time, unless I'm losing my mind. Like, I feel like her this is so me to notice this but i feel like her sink went like parallel to the door instead of facing the door mm-hmm. i don't know why i'm just thinking about like when we see her come in like and wipe her face off for some reason i thought it was along it i could I be thinking know. of the 80 other bathrooms we've seen in this show but that just i'm probably wrong uh jen will let me know right away i uh, I, I really wish that uh uh, her landlord had cleaned up a little bit after she left and we could get the landlord special of where the landlord just painted over the bloody rag on her yep. counter like, just, <laughs> yep. just painted it's right also, over the bloody rag that's always been it's there. also it's also crazy to me like that that all would have been untouched for that long because most places in chicago like is she still paying rent at this time like what is Probably. Yeah, I mean, What's she's going been, on. She's here, been cause... shopping for a new place to live, but she hasn't yeah. officially moved out. I guess I would assume she's been paying rent this whole time. So yeah, that's the only thing I wasn't sure was I was like, there's no way if she, if she had bailed that like because there had been discussions about like, oh, he said he's holding it for me or whatever. But just I was like, there's no way a landlord wouldn't come in and at least change the locks, right? 
which we see later being done by Luca. We'll get there. Um, but let's go over to Pratt is asking Chen if she likes mac and cheese because he's trying to ask her out. And he is so gross being like, well, yeah, you're going to want to eat after having a nice hot shower and all this hot fucking sex. <laughs> it's so gross. It's I hate it. I hate I hate this so much. Um, and she's like, I can do that all by myself. I don't need you, which mm, go Chen. Love it. And then uh, they walk over to Pablo and are checking on him. And she's like, oh, Pablo, do you like mac and cheese? And um, he's like, yeah, cool. And she goes, there, you can have dinner with Pablo. Walks away. Also, common Pablo W. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Random Pablo appearance for no reason. Love it. Love it. I believe I double-checked in the cast notes. I believe we have one appearance left of Pablo. So enjoy him while we got him. Uh, and I would like to point out here because it becomes uh, not important, but it becomes worth noting in a couple scenes. Uh, Chen wearing a red, uh, slightly low, like not low cut, but like like a scoop neck. Thank you. Women's clothing terminology. Uh, red, red shirt here. Keep that in mind for just a few seconds I... from now. Uh, we then go over. We see Abby cleaning out her fridge uh, while Luca replaces the locks. And Carter shows up with flowers and sees that she is in the background drinking a beer, and he looks horrified. Uh, we Some excellent facial expressions by both Abby and Carter. And, oh boy, can't wait to relitigate this whole situation again this episode <laughs> and for the next season. Uh, we are then in with Bangs, coming out of the intro to a man beg- begging Pratt for help, says that his brother is inside him. Uh, Abby offers for uh, to... Uh, call for a psych consult. Pratt uh, tries to flex his uh, baby doctor muscles and says that he's got it uh, with the delightfully shitty quote of, I fly the plane, you serve the coffee. Which, mm. Gotta love these early gestational stages of characters. I was gonna say, you ever he forget was... just how shitty Pratt was? Yeah, it was like, I last mean... episode, it's like, yeah, he's kind of cocky, but all right. This episode, I was like, oh yeah, this is, okay. Yeah. Yep. We're gonna go through it all over again with Archie later. Like, yep, I know, I know. We're gonna do it. Uh, Abby leaves him to his own devices. Carter asks, uh, comes up and asks him about another patient, then swats a knife out of this patient's hand when he goes to stab himself, which is a pretty adept little move by Carter there. But I imagine it was also a little bit of a PTSD response too. Like, it, it's, it's such a good move though. Like without even flinching, he's just like whap. Right. And let's go to our first audio clip here. <laughs> I just I couldn't not get this. It doesn't have any. It doesn't have any impact on the overall story, any even a really overall impact of this episode. It's one of the only good parts of this episode that's worth laughing at. It's just genuinely, genuinely hilarious. Uh, Romano's talking to Carrie about some lesbian statistics. Did you know that lesbians are at a higher risk of breast, cervical, and ovarian cancers because they are less likely to have children by age 30, if at all? Is that so? Yeah. Lesbians are less likely to seek health care because of the discomfort of coming out to health care providers. Why are you telling me this? Lesbians are also less likely to get routine gynecological services, which means later detection of these cancers. Robert, huh? do you have to keep saying that? What? Lesbians are just reading what it says. Don't. I can't help it, Carrie. This gets me excited. You want to know why? Because this smells like money. Your sisters are underserviced, and we can fix that. Yeah, you're trying to exploit my lifestyle. No, I'm not. I am trying to accentuate the positive. You're chief, you're gay, you're challenged. Ah, challenged. You can be the poster girl for County General's new center for lesbian excellence. No. Come on, you haven't even seen the proposal. What proposal? It's in the press packet. You should read it before the news conference. You better be kidding. This is going to be great. 
Uh, I petition us for to anytime the word lesbian comes up, we have to say it lesbians. <laughs> lesbians. I also love um, that. Oh my god, what was it? I I roll my eyes when she says you're you know taking advantage of my lifestyle because that's such an early aughts way of dealing with it. I'm like, no, that's not right. Like, no, that's not that's not the thing. You're almost there, Carrie. Almost there. Almost so close. I mean, that isn't that what she says? Like when she when she when she's with Kim, she's like, I'm I'm not interested in adopting a lifestyle. In, yeah, that's hundred percent is what it is because back then that's what it was. It wasn't a sex. They didn't really call it sexuality as much. It was it was the lifestyle. But um, no. The other thing I want to note here is this is we could almost argue that this is the canonical sprinkling of the Robert Romano. I had the same um, thought. God, I I can't think of the damn phrasing, but you know what I mean. Yeah. I believe it's the Ro- uh, Robert Romano Memorial Center for G- gay, gay lesbian. lesbian and transgender lesbian. excellence in medical care, or something like did that. Did they or... did they include transgender? Yeah, transgender is in there. Yes. Really? Yep. yep, transgender oh, yeah. is in damn. there. But my yes, peop- my people are represented. Excellent. But yeah, so like, I just want to note those two things. One, lifestyle. Two, a a planting some a. seeds. All right. Uh, then we, shall we, shall we shuffle from here to Carter being a moron? At least he's not a lesbian. Lesbian. <laughs> um, so we have Carter trying to dig a Pop-Tart out of the toaster with a knife. Susan walks in and asks him if he unplugged it at least first. He pretends to get electrocuted. Ha 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 ha. Uh, then we see Susan checking her messages using the lounge phone because this is, in fact, the early 2000s. Uh, Carter in the background asks if they've found a replacement for Mark yet. And little Susie leaves a message on the machine saying her mom is really sick in a hotel. She can't wake up. And Susan talks to the cops trying to get some help locating Chloe and little Susie. So far to no avail. Great. This is what our episode's going to be. <laughs> holy, but, holy pull people out of the shadow realm, Batman, because holy shit. Like, is this maybe we, we didn't mention it at the top in the previously on, but like they they show you stuff between Susan and Chloe from back in season two or three, yeah. whatever that was. Um, is this the furthest back they will stretch for any previously on segment, maybe ever, like we're talking about a full like five six years, they're stretching back here to grab something for a previously on segment. I feel like there can't be that many more that they go that much further than. Yeah, this one's pretty far back. But um, yeah, so this is gonna be fun. But then we pivot over to Carter pulling Luca aside to talk to him about Abby. And he goes, she's drinking again, or didn't you notice, as if it's anybody's fucking business but Abby's. Like, he doesn't know if she told him or not about her alcoholism. So, way to go, Carter. Way to ignore that anonymous, and Alcoholics Anonymous. And Luca, rightly so, looks absolutely dumbfounded. Something, so here's where it's come up before. Something where it's like, no, Luke, Luca's never been told about her addiction. Something about the, the declarative way that that bullet point is phrased just tickles me. Like, Luca looks dumbfounded. Like, that, yeah. that could be... That could be so many things. That could be a, a subtitle for almost any scene in like season Looks dumbfounded. seven, eight, maybe a little bit, some of nine too. Like, it's like, dude is uh, what, what do we uh, declare uh, Luca during Secrets and Lies? Like he's got a little bit of himbo in him, like just yeah, a, a little just bit a of little himbo, bit, just a little bit, just a little just, bit, just a sprinkling. Uh, but then Carrie calls Luca for help, so pulls him aside from this weird-ass conversation because a seven-year-old fell out of a tree climbing during a class trip, and Carter leaves them to it. I could not keep a straight face during this storyline because I, during one of my like late-night 
uh, TikTok reel uh, scrolls, I came across this one of this kid climbing a tree with like his phone in his hand and he's like explaining while he's climbing the tree that this is really dangerous and you definitely shouldn't do this but he can do it because he's seven and seven is like the age where like you're big enough to do this and then of course he immediately falls out of the tree (laughs) (laughs) and so when this thing was like a seven-year-old fell out of a tree that was all i could think about was this kid and what's what's great is that the very next video on his account is of him telling you that he's fine like that, that that it turned out okay that he does not like permanently injured see and my brain went to lauren and her instagram climbing videos dumb ways to, to die, die. <laughs> so many um, dumb ways to die uh, it's so good so we then uh go from that over to uh chen and pratt talking in the hallway about how his date with pablo went and he jokes that he took him to dinner at docks and that they had a great chat and i want to point out not a single indication that we are on a different day here no indication whatsoever that the day None. day has changed uh chen's shirt is now magically a light green slash blue color like kind of a tealish color and is now a turtleneck and will remain that way for most of the episode from here on out so little from the wardrobe department uh we then find out pratt sent one of uh one of carter's patients home because she had nothing wrong with her at least that he could assess uh carter's pissed because he didn't get a chance to sign off on the chart so we get to see carter doing a little bit of the benton flexing here with his med student Mm -hmm. you know of just like i sign off on all the charts got it like kind of asserting his authority liability yeah you've got to because pratt is an intern correct I believe so. I, be- I believe, I believe so. there is a dis- yeah. there is a distinction made between him and Gallant that Gallant is a med student and uh, Pratt, yeah, Pratt is a pr- either a resident or an intern. No, he's he's an he's an intern because it's the very in, in the last episode he says yep, and hopefully I don't get my residency here if the right, match right, is any right, good right, to right, me. Right. So yeah, yeah, yeah he's yeah, still yeah, an intern. Yeah. Uh, but the call from we find out the call from little Susie came from a cell phone in New York and Chicago police actually being helpful for once. Uh, Susan calls the the 55th precinct, I believe it is. Yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. doesn't matter. An Ohio third watch tie-in that no one asked for. <laughs> Especially me, uh, because this show is not, has aged like fine milk. Um, see, uh, detective... Uh, is he Detective Bosco? I, be- I, believe, no. I believe so. I believe he is He's Detective. Or I think they man. say Officer. Awful human being and shit human shit pile Bosco Awful, is sir, asked, one might say. Yeah. Ah, is asked I'm to gone. Take, I'm done. Is asked to take the thing, and Susan leaves a report with them, but Bosco is clearly just does not give a single fuck, just like any police well, I was going to say, would. it is sort of a... Re- I'll give him credit for that. It is sort of a very realistic... Like... I having my only exposure I'll, I'll preface by saying my only exposure to third watch is through the the lens of this episode and the other half of the cro- the the crossover uh, which we will be doing for patrons uh later this weekend uh but <laughs> like so my only exposure to the show is through the lens of ER um but the limited experience that I do have with it through those two episodes I will at least say that they don't like with few exceptions, they don't paint a terribly flattering picture of cops. Like, they, they do sort of paint a more realistic kind of, like, they do just spend a lot of time with their thumb up their ass. Question. Does uh, Bosco remind anybody else of Shep? 
in the sense that every blowhard white guy asshole reminds me of Shep. Sure. That's fair. Like (laughs) I didn't, I didn't find him particularly like, um, uh, unique. Like he was just sort of, you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, so yeah, this is the third watch tie in episode, the crossover episode. Um, and you know, as you might imagine, uh, you know, this isn't, this isn't a coincidence. This isn't by accident. Both shows are produced by John Wells. Um, there's a lot of, uh, back and forth crossover, uh, not to, not to put too fine a point on it. There's a lot of back and forth crossover between ER and third watch. Lots of folks who worked on, uh, ER went on to work on Third Watch, and folks who worked on Third Watch would come over and work on ER occasionally. So there's a lot of like sharing of not only on screen characters but behind the scenes people as well. Like uh, Guy B, who used to do some stuff back in uh, the early seasons behind the camera and directing, um, he worked a lot on Third Watch. Um, uh, I, I want to say maybe Neil Bear did as well. Like he did some stuff, but I know he went on to do law and order. That might've, I might be confusing law and order and third watch there, but so just, just suffice to say, there's a lot of crossover between um, ER and third watch, both on screen and creatively. Um, third watch at this point is in its third season. So it's a much younger show than ER is um, obviously takes place in New York versus Chicago. Um, and, I would imagine this was an attempt to sprinkle a little bit of the ER magic dust on to third watch and get it. Cause like third watch always did fine, but it was never the juggernaut that ER was like yeah. ER was always top five in the ratings. Even after it started to slip, it was always way, way up there. Whereas third watch was always like, it did fine for its time slot, but it was never like, a a you know, a leader, <laughs> Uh, in anything um it just kind of existed and i want to say it lasts for about six seasons so we're probably about halfway through the the third watch lifespan at this point um i think it's like 99 to 05 so um it has its fans uh i know like there are people who you know especially people within the er fandom who you know they they burn through er and they want to watch something else i've i've heard a lot of people speak very positively of third watch and then I've also I've also saying, had people who are like, "What the fuck is Third Watch?" Like, which we'll get to at the end of the episode, which I think is wild. But like, uh, there's a lot of people for whom Third Watch is a complete mystery to them. And, and apparently, for the pop TV crowd, uh, Third Watch is apparently starting on some other like cable network in yeah. the U.S. Like, they're just about to start their run of it. And so I've seen in the ER groups, everybody's like, "Guys, Third Watch is about to start." Yeah, that's another like, another okay. thing about it is that it's. Um, finally becoming more accessible than it has ever been like because i, I want to say there were like dvds made of course you know right around the time the show was ending because that was mid mid 2000s that was the height of tv seasons on dvd but then after that like once those go out of print the show just falls off the face of the earth for about 15 years like no one like i remember looking for because i had never seen the other half of the er crossover i remember looking for it just like a year or two ago and having the hardest time, like only being able to find it on the sketchiest of websites in the worst quality possible. Um, and now like it's starting a, a syndication rotation on, on uh, cable TV. And it's also streaming, at least in the U S it's streaming free on Tubi. So you can finally watch all of third watch if you want. I don't know why you would, but you can do it if you want to. So, um, but in any event, uh, the this is where we start to get some of the the third watch connections, dr- you know, 
drizzling in here, starting, of course, with uh, Bosco, who is played by actor Jason Wiles, who appeared in stuff like Sunny Days, Zodiac, uh, and, of course, Third Watch, uh, and his commanding officer, who actually physically takes the call before passing it off on him. He is played by actor Joe Lisi, who appeared in stuff like Summer of Sam, Man on a Ledge, and Third Watch, and was also, this will be a recurring theme in this episode, people who either have already appeared on ER or will appear on ER in the future. He was also in season three, episode 20, which if you will recall was Random Acts, uh, and that was the episode where Mark got his shit kicked in. Uh, and this gentleman was our first suspect in that episode. He was oh. he was the irate oh. he was the irate dad at the beginning of the episode, uh, who is dressed exactly alike to the other two suspects later in the episode. So, good good catch, good catch. Um, we go back over to Daniel's TikTok seven year old, and I want to know whose films are those guys. You gotta stop giving me the ones where I'm calling it myself. It's weird. Uh, we learn from Lizzie that Mark and Rachel are in Hawaii, uh, seeing his old ha- haunts from growing up there. They think the little boy has a herniation in his brain, so not great. Sorry. Ha- yes, Daniel. Sorry. Haunts was just an interesting choice of words, given the context. You know what? Whatever. I'm sticking with it. Uh, but Susan says that she has to leave and can't find anyone to cover for her. She screams that into the trauma at Carrie. And she's flying to New York to find to find Susie and Chloe, since the cops are apparently of no help, even though she just talked to them like 20 minutes ago. Gotta work fast. Gotta work fast. Well, would sure, you sweetheart. have been inspi- uh, have your confidence inspired by how the way Bosco was handling that call? Absolutely not. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, we then... Uh, Go back over to Admit, where uh, we see a man out in chairs uh, preaching. Uh, flash uh, quickly over to Carrie and Gallant, who uh, Carrie says, who let Reverend Ed in here? He's a holy pain in the ass. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, <laughs> she tells Gallant to uh, please get Ed out of here uh, before he starts trying to heal people. Uh, Reverend Ed here is played by actor Harold Surratt, who appeared in uh, stuff like The Blacklist, For Life, and the Marvel TV series Luke Cage. Uh, We then get our next trauma coming in. Uh, Stanley Sherman, a 32-year-old security guard suffering from a gunshot wound to the abdomen. Uh, Pratt uses just one question to get his GCS and proof of airway showing off in front of Gallant. Uh, And he, once they get him into the trauma room, Gallant's like, eager to do procedures and he and pratt just tells him that you can do the rectal so which seems weird like they're not often just mentioning doing rectals on trauma patients oh yeah i don't it's like i don't even know that they really even need to do it i think he's basically just telling gallant fuck you you're not going to do anything well okay this one at least you could say based on where he shot it might have nicked the intestine he might be bleeding his intestine or i suppose a rectal would be a quick way to my name's lizzie i make sense (laughs) Uh, I do, I do genuinely like the line from Carter here where he says, play nice kids. Don't make me stop this trauma. (laughs) That good. Yes. That that line has big Lauren energy. Um, Stanley here is played by actor Maurice G Smith, who appears in stuff like, uh, the TV series, meet the Browns, alternate endings, and the delightfully titled Carmen, a hip hopra, which. Okay. Delightfully punny title there. Uh, and he will be returning to us in uh, just a couple seasons, uh, season 10, as a different character. Uh, second character, uh, spoilers for later in the episode, maybe second character we've had so far to come back from the dead. 
because uh, he ain't going to make it to the end of this episode, kids. Uh, but just like the lady who got smoked by the car uh, in the coffee shop with Carol and then came back mm-hmm. in a later episode to shoot up the ER, this guy apparently will be joining us again in season 10. See, you just made the finger guns out. It was like, is Cactus Jack on this TV show? And I just didn't. Yes, yeah, a reference that will resonate oh so deeply with Mary and the rest of our audience. <laughs> and, and through video, too. Exactly. Anyway, let's go to our next audio clip here. Uh, more police incompetence as uh, Susan shows up at the police department in New York City. It's a big gun show in Baltimore this weekend. You interested? Uh, no, thank you. Come on. Come on, you can bring the kids. Yeah, okay. Let me call Fred and tell him to pack a bag for the kids so they can go to the gun show. Hey, what's up, Lou? Your missing persons report from this morning. Who? The doctor with the missing sister. I thought she was in Chicago. She was. She flew here? What are you talking about? You brought us in for this, boss? Somebody tell me what's going on. Her sister and her sister's kids go missing for what? An hour? So she's coming unglued. Take her out and drive her around. Oh, you gotta be kidding me. The doctor from Chicago. That kind of trouble I don't need. Lou. Hey, Bosco. Whatever you told her on the phone, she hopped on a plane. Now she's your problem. I didn't tell her anything. Well, maybe that's why she got on the plane. What's going on? The sister's missing? She probably took it to the zoo or something. Uh, excuse me. Excuse me. Are you the officer I spoke with this morning? Yeah, hi. Boscarelli, how you doing? It's my partner, Officer Yokus. Hi. Susan Lewis, have you found them? Uh, I made a few phone calls, but I'm afraid I don't have much. I called my niece's school. They said she hasn't showed up in days. I'm gonna get a cup of coffee. You want some? No, I'm fine. You know, uh, Susan? Yeah. Uh, like 90% of the time, these things work out to be just fine. Well, I called their home, his work. I can't get a hold of anybody. Well, maybe the whole family took a trip to Disney World or, I don't know, went fishing or something. Where do they live? South Orange. South Orange? Oh, that's New Jersey. You know what we can do? We can call the PD over there, and we can have them send the patrol over and, uh, you know, check it out. You know, would you just listen to this? Aunt Susan? Aunt Susan, are you there? Aunt Susie, my mom's really sick. We're in a hotel. I think she needs a doctor. I can't wake her up. I gotta go. Did you try the hospitals? Isn't that your job? Do you have pictures? Uh, well, what we can do is we can canvas the hotels in our precinct and see if anybody's seen them. Can I come with you? No. Yeah. Thank you. I need the listeners at home to know, to experience, because this is an audio-only format. I need them to feel and see the look of disgust that came across Lauren's face when little Susie's voice came out of that recorder. (laughs) I didn't even mean to. Like, as soon as that small child's voice came out, Lauren just immediately gets this, like, like she just smelled something horrible. Comes across her face and she's like, ugh. Just disgust. I don't even do it on purpose. Like, guys, it's so good I'm not going to have kids. That's all I'm saying. Like, I'm a monster. Oh, my God. I I don't know. Like, this is, uh, like I said uh, earlier, like, I give them a little bit of credit in the writing for, you know, they don't make these cops look like super cops. Like, this isn't, you know, this is not like fucking Blue Bloods or whatever, you know, like. This is not Law and Order. Yeah, like, they don't make them look like altruistic, you know, fucking superheroes. Like, they're, they're just 
they're just a couple of assholes who want to be left alone and drink their coffee. And like the the second she mentions New Jersey, like the 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 partner is like, oh, you know, what we could do, we could just pawn this bullshit off on New Jersey and be done with it. Like she's like. <laughs> and he's like, "Oh yeah, I made a couple calls, but nothing's really happened." And then she's Bullshit. right, and she's Bullshit. she immediately Susan's got like a list of things that she's already done that would have taken this guy like minutes to do, and she's already done the legwork for it. So I, I like the little bit of realism in that, where they just like you know, they don't prop these guys up too much. No, uh, and this is where we're introduced to Bosco's partner here, Yokus, uh, who is played by actress Molly Price, who appears in stuff like How Do You Know, Sweet and Low Down, and of course, the other half of the show you're watching right now, Third Watch. Uh, and she will be returning to uh, ER as a completely different character in season 15. So stay tuned for that. And then we go back to Stanley, our gunshot wound victim. Um, his BP is dropping. He's not breathing. Gallant gets to intubate, 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 and Pratt gets territorial. Uh, Carter emphasizes that it's a teaching hospital, so they're going to teach Gallant. Fuck off, Pratt. And Gallant, I cannot fucking talk tonight. Gallant intubates very smoothly, and Pratt rolls his eyes like, meh, that was an easy one. Like, fuck off. Um, and then Luca and Abby are talking about how Carter isn't happy with her. And Luca then goes to check on Alan, our seven-year-old from the tree, and his parents. He gives them an update. They think that the damage is unreversible, and if they take them off the life support, he will die. Oof. Just just whip a little bleakness into the episode, why don't you? Uh, the parents of... I guess we can't call him Tree Boy if he's... like We can't like follow up Tub Boy with Tree Boy. Uh, the parents here, uh, the mother is played by actress Nancy Stafford, who appeared in stuff like First Lady, Heaven Bound, and a recur- uh, very recurring by the number of episodes, recurring role on the TV series Matlock. Uh, and the father is played by actor William Francis McGuire, who appears in stuff like The Day After Tomorrow, Mission Impossible 3, and the show that I completely forgot existed until I started uh, doing the cast notes for this episode, A Hundred Deeds for Eddie McDowd, which was a Nickelodeon show that was like a year or two before this episode maybe i'm gonna say like 99 2000 it was like right around the age and time where i was starting to age out of nickelodeon uh and it's basically my name is earl but uh Mm. the uh titular character eddie mcdowd is instead of being like a dude in a trailer park like uh my name is earl he uh basically like gets turned into a dog instead like it's weird man like (laughs) you really realize as an adult how how many of your favorite shows as a child were the result of really stoned adults in a room together (laughs) like you don't realize how much of that stuff was born out of just really really high adults yeah i'll take it and then we go back to new york city no one matching Susie or chloe's description has shown up at the morgues or the hospitals uh says Bosco is continuing with the through line, despite hearing that that voicemail is that oh, this happens all the time. People leave and they forget to tell the family because obviously that happens when obviously what when that happens, the, the little girl calls and says, oh, yeah, by the way, my mom's dying. <laughs> and there's... Sorry, I shouldn't laugh, but that was good. Uh, you you have to laugh over. to get through this episode. Like, yeah. Uh, there's no sign of Chloe in the neighborhood, and she she finally tells them about Chloe's substance abuse problem. She's been clean for five years, and then 
they're like, oh, well, she's a fucking junkie then. Oh, well, she's a piece <laughs> right? of shit then. They, they, I mean, again, very realistic, but also like just such a like, you know, when you're watching it with a modern lens, you're just like, oh, God. <laughs> His yeah, like, whole oh. fucking thing is that. Yeah, like, oh, why didn't she leave with that? Then we would have even care about this I know, case right? even less. Well, it's like, dude, were you are you claiming that there's a level of caring that you could go lower than where you're already at? Like that that almost seems like a threat. It's like I could have even yeah. I could have been caring less than I already do. Yeah. But Susan stands up for Chloe, says she's a good wife and mother, and the guy and I forget who says it's probably Bosco because he's a piece of shit. But if he's if she's so responsible, then why are you here? Oh, oh. Uno reverse. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, we then go back to see Pratt and Gallant working on Stanley. Uh, Pratt calls uh, some patients on life support vent-dependent gomers. Mm. Uh, and Gallant scolds him since they're vets who gave their lives. Which, this is annoying on both levels to me. Like, this is annoying because it, it like, you know, we're reinforcing the worst parts of both of these characters. Like... We're reinforcing the uh, the shittiness of early Pratt, and we're also reinforcing the like goody two shoes boy scoutiness of uh, Gallant, who like I feel mm-hmm. like that personality trait of his is really gonna grate on me as time goes on. Uh, yep. But you know, it is what it is. Uh, things start to turn south. Gallant asks if they should get Carter, and Pratt's is like, "Hell no! They need to do CPR, and there's no time." You need and asks you know yells for Gallant to get him a thoracotomy tray uh pratt proceeds to then get out his notebook on how to do the thoracotomy which always inspires confidence uh Gallant yells for abby to come in they work on it together when abby finally comes in they yell for her to go get someone so she tells carter i do love i do love the reaction from carter when she goes and she's like your students just crack somebody's chest and carter like panic runs out of the room immediately drops what he's doing he's like Oh, just the look of, oh, fuck, that comes over his face is perfect. Uh, Yeah. So there's blood clots in this guy's pericardium. And uh, Pratt is very flustered when Carter comes in the room and says that he needs the the big clamp thing or something to that effect. And And Carter's like, if you don't know what it's called, you shouldn't be using it. And in Pratt's defense, he says, you know, the guy was dying. And he says, well, if he wasn't already, he is now. So... Pratt and, oh, Pratt and Gallant Dunn stepped in it big time. Yup. Uh, then we go back to New York City. Yay. Uh, Bosco is asking around about if a guy has seen any junkies, and he kicks the dude's chair out from under him. This is outside of, like, a, you know, short-term hotel rental thing where you might find squatters or prostitutes, sex workers. And um, Bosco's complaining to his partner. just like, oh, she's wasting our time. This is stupid. Her junkie sister isn't here. Whatever. Um, And the neighborhood watch guy on his bike comes up to ask if they're closing the place finally where there's some supposed sex workers. And he's like, look, I've got pictures of them coming in and out at weird hours. Like, and have you, are you doing anything about the drunk down the street? The guy's like, oh no, you don't have a picture of him. Sorry. We can't do anything about it. Which I love that. That's how they get the guy to fucking go away. Like I love, but uh, (laughs) like, the only thing, like, I love the visible disdain that they have for this guy. Both both yeah. the characters on screen, and you can tell it's just kind of oozing out of the writing a little bit, too, that they yeah. really, this guy is a complete joke. Because, like, honestly, the only thing worse than a shitty cop 
is the, the neighborhood narc. Like the the neighborhood yeah, narc is like the worst fucking guy ever. So like, I like that they at least would go to the trouble of pointing out what a douchebag this guy is. Hundred uh, percent. But then Bosco goes, well, maybe she's hiding from her controlling lunatic of a sister. What a fucking piece of shit. Did you hear the voice message left for Susan? Apparently not. And uh, they're having this whole chat while Susan is sitting in the car with her window down, like, maybe 30 feet away. It's completely plausible that she could hear some oh, yeah. of this. Absolutely. Uh, we go back to the ER, though, or ER, though. Romano's talking shit about Prant and Galat's handiwork when they wheel, as they're wheeling Stanley up to surgery. And they're like, oh, yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, his problem is that you hacked up a patient that you shouldn't have been touching. Carter says to Pratt and Gallant, and Carter tells them to go to the lounge, and of course, Pratt doesn't, but Gallant does. So. Good boy. Uh, and then we go back to New York. Yay, I get all the New York bullets. Uh, the, a man, presumably the manager of this hotel, says he rented a room to a woman and a girl on Monday, and we see little Susie's stuffed monkey doll and a bunch of drug paraphernalia in the room, and there is heavy metal music playing as they find it all. Lizzie not volunteering to take any of the New York City related uh, bullets is peak Chicago elitism commitment to the bit. Like, if it doesn't directly, if it doesn't take place in and directly reference Chicago, Illinois, Lizzie is contractually obligated not to touch it. No, it's more because I, you could not pay me to give actually give a shit about this storyline. Fair. Like yeah, the only thing you care, the only thing I care about is like, oh, that sucks for little Susie. But like, yeah. So how that I guess I, now's as good a time as any to ask this question. So like, how do we feel like this episode was born? Do we feel like they went, we want to do a third watch crossover, and then they figured out, okay, let's do uh, a story. Let's, let, drag, let's drag Susie out. Of the exactly. Room. Let's let's bring little Susie and Chloe back, and let's do it that way. Or did they go, okay, we have this idea for a story involving little Susie and Chloe, like we want to bring them back and add a little flavor to Susan's storyline. Um, Ooh, maybe this would be a good thing for a third watch. Like which, which came first, the chicken or I the think, egg? I, I think it was probably third watch first because they can use, for lack of a better term, um, they can use Chloe and Susie where they're not going to have that much weight on any like persistent storylines. Mm-hmm. They can have Susan go do this one-off adventure and it's not really going to impact the microcosm of the ER too much. Yeah. So that's yeah, my so like, guess. It's not like you're dragging out like all the characters from the ER. Right. It's just Susan. Yeah. It, it just it feels very. Um, I think that's part of why this episode feels so strange now is that like now that we have the benefit of a, of a well-paced rewatch, not a binge, because like when you're mm. when you're in the throes of a binge, season three and season eight could be separated by days. You know, like you yeah. you, you could mm-hmm. be like just powering through. Or just hours if you're Jake. Right. So, like, you know, but on the benefit of a well-paced rewatch, season three might as well be a different fucking decade. Like, season three is eons ago. And so, like, I don't even trust that the average viewer would even remember this storyline or would give a shit about it at this point. So, like, it um, it just feels incredibly shoehorned in just for the sake of a crossover. Especially at this point in the season when you just had Orion in the sky. Right. Like, how many times... I I know it came up once or twice when she first rejoined the cast, but, like, how many fucking times has 
Chloe and or Susie been brought up since Susan returned once, maybe twice a times. and very like passing token mentions to be like, yeah, they still exist. But like, yeah, be like, oh, I just wanted to get out of Arizona. It's like, I don't really feel the need to be me be near them. Anymore yeah. Or something. yeah. So like they're fine. And, and, and to, to your point, Lizzie, about it being a weird follow up to um, Orion in the sky. Uh, again on rewatch absolutely like it it throws off the momentum of a binge rewatch incredibly uh i want to say it's aaron of course because it's always aaron um he (laughs) he does make an excellent point in his listener response though that in real time we have almost a month between orion in the sky and this episode so i see what they were trying to and he makes the point in his response like that that i i see what they were trying to get at of like there's been a month between Orion and this guy and this one. We want to drum up some extra like buzz and what better way than try to cross over the audience between these two shows to drum up some extra interest for the, the stretch run of the season. So, you know, an admirable effort, but it's, it just feels incredibly shoehorned. And that's, I guess you have to see Lizzie's side of finding out about Hawaii and stuff. Right. Like almost everything in this episode feels shoehorned in and it's just kind of a mess. Uh, Luca is with Alan's parents and Lizzie. Uh, they are very kind of hopeful because they said he moved a little bit, but Lizzie's very quick to shut that down, says that it wasn't voluntary, uh, that the force of the fall damaged the connections of his brain and says that she says that I think he's gone. This is just his body. Um, so the parents are, are getting to the point where they want to let him go. And, uh, as Luca goes to disconnect him from life support, Lizzie excuses herself clearly emotional um, from the, the situation, of course, with what's happening with Mark. So, and I can't remember, have, have, have we gotten the call yet from, from Rachel? No, no that's, that's shortly. That's later. Okay. All right. And let's go to our next audio clip here. Uh, Carter comes into the lounge to talk with theoretically Pratt, but definitely Gallant. Where's Pratt? I don't know. I told you both to wait in here for me. Yeah, and I'm here. Kyle Stanley. He's still in the OR. That was really stupid, Gallant. Look, it was not my idea. Should have come to get me. I tried. I mean, if I would have left Pratt, the patient would have died for sure. What was I supposed to do? Well, you weren't supposed to crack the guy's chest. All right, you're on Scott duty for the rest of the day, both of you. Yes, sir. You know Dr. Malucci? No. That's because he got fired. He was a hot shot, too. Killed the guy because he thought he knew everything. You two pull another stunt like that, you're out of here. Look, I don't blame you for being angry, Dr. Carter, about what happened. But please, don't confuse me and Pratt. I, 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 I love the like impotent way that uh, Gallant is. He's like, "Why you should have come and got me?" And he's like, "I tried." <laughs> he sounds like such a like whiny little boy. Like, I tried, and then but he sounds like fair. such a badass at the end. Though. Yeah, he pulls it together by the end. But. Yeah, <laughs> like that's the Gallant we know and love. That's that's the extra, just a hint of spice, Gallant I, that we. Know I do love. love the idea though of like. Malucci somewhere just being like what the, what the fuck did I do like just like Dave Malucci catching fucking strays in the shadow realm like just Eric Palladino watching that episode be like the fuck <laughs> right? yeah we just hear him off screen like the, the fuck, fuck is this 
<laughs> turns out Car- we turns just- out that Carter started the tradition of uh <laughs> of catching fucking strays with Eric Palladino. Like we uh we need to um send that clip to Eric and be like, "My dude, it wasn't think, just a shit." And I think he did mention in in his interview or in some, one of the conversations we had with him, um, I feel like he did mention that him and R. Scott Gemmell are friends. So I have oh, okay. to imagine that that was an intentional little like wink and a nod mentioned by R. Scott Gemmell in this episode. Shout out to my right? homie. Pour, let me pour one out for my homie real quick. Oh, God. I'm sorry. Just go on this episode. I'm not, I'm torn between this poor kid and also what the fuck gang. But um, mostly this poor kid. It's just that SpongeBob uh, him, a meme with him and looking at the book. Like this is fucking awesome. This is awful. <laughs> yep. Um, but with that, we then go out to Carrie scolding Gallant for not getting rid of Pastor Ed, and asks Pratt to do it instead. Um, and Lizzie comes up to help Romano with Stanley in surgery. And she's like, oh, what happened? And uh, Romano goes, he had the unfortunate luck of passing through the ER butcher shop. And this is where Lizzie receives the call from Hawaii from Rachel um, with an emergency. And Robert immediately changes tone and tells her to just get the fuck out and go. Like, we got this. Go. Take the time you need. Just go. Like, immediately turns on, like, nope, go be with your husband. Fine. It's fine. Very well done. And then back to New York City. Cool. Uh, they chase down a guy named Oleg and ask to ask him some questions about potential locations of Chloe and Susie and Daniel. Uh, Oleg is played by actor Eric Davies, who is best known as a voice actor uh, when he mm. when he's not getting his uh, ass beat extrajudicially by police. Uh, he you is... took my thing. <laughs> He is best known for doing voices in Ghosts in the Shell, both one and two, uh, and Final Fantasy thirteen. Eight. Um, then we uh, we get some nice battery and a bloody nose on the guy. They tackle him up against the police car and search him illegally. Guys, cops are the best here. Um, and he mentions that there's a shooting gallery in back of an old carpet factory, but he didn't see Susie there. So... The co- we're all going to go check that out, have a bit of a field trip. And Chen tells Carter that Pratt just did a perfect spinal tap. Carter tells him to go home or shape up and listen before he has to be a hard ass. Okay. <laughs> One might argue he's already being a hard ass, but but justifiable. I'm not saying it's bad. But anyway, uh, let's go to our final audio clip here. Early, early time for the final one. Only 31 minutes in the episode. But uh, Carter sees Abby leave and follows her out into the ambulance bay. Any word on uh, price store economy? I haven't heard. Do you want to talk about it? There's nothing to talk about. Oh, no? Started after your assault? I said I didn't want to talk no, about it. No, you said there was nothing to talk about. Whatever. Carter, it's not what you think. Well, just I, rela- I can relax, handle Abby. this. I'm I... not throwing the program at you. I'm just trying to help. Don't need any help. Six years, you know? You were sober for six years. Right. That was then. I'm a different person now. <sighs> what? I'm not shooting up. I had a beer. 
I had a beer. Stop trying to make it such a big deal. It is a big deal. It's not about the beer you had yesterday. Or the two that you're going to want today, or the six that you're going to want tomorrow. It's under control. Oh, is it? Yes, it is. And it's not a reaction. It's a decision. My decision. All right. So, I'm not completely mad at him here. Like... I feel like his heart is in the right place at this mm -hmm. particular moment. It's where it's a little bit later that we will see. Uh, and I just, you know, here though, I feel like, you know, people, people always say that we're too hard on Carter and like, it's like, no, I, I, I can definitely like point out when he is mm -hmm. doing the right thing. And like here, I feel like he's at least coming at it from the concerned friend who understands the struggle standpoint like mm -hmm. here he's doing the right thing <clears throat> yeah, and i love how he's like i'm not throwing the program at you i'm just checking in right like yeah and abby is 100 percent like in denial mode at this point like she's 100 percent not ready to like admit that she's fucked up and that she mm -hmm. that she's you know going, going down a bad road like she, she's just not there yet it's not nearly as bad as later seasons, but no, 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 no. many, yeah, many miles to go before we sleep. Uh, that's more trauma porny than anything at that uh, point. Well, we go from there. Uh, so they're bringing in is a 35 year old restrained driver who was T-boned. Uh, the guy ran a red light. Uh, it's also a DUI. That becomes important. Uh, we get probably the best question mark scene of the episode of uh lizzie approaching mm -hmm. uh romano in the hallway who is complaining about his bad day says that she needs time off and he's like fat chance like he's like oh he's like immediately Stop. like hell no and then she explains the situation in greater detail and he immediately switches tone and is like nope you go take all the time you need and asks if there's anything he could do uh she's like you can pray and he's like that's not my strong suit but i'll make an exception yeah, sorry I convoluted this earlier with the scene of her getting the call. But yeah, this yeah. is where they have a really good moment together. Yeah. Like I said, arguably the best scene of the episode there. Mm -hmm. um, and then we go back down to Abby and Carter with the drunk driver. Luca uh, gives Abby a look as they're going looking over the guy's condition. And Carter is complaining about the dude being drunk. And here's where I feel like he kind of goes overboard with it of just like... <sighs> here and of course the next scene but like in this one in this one he has big like um are you gonna collect the homework energy like he has just big like he's the shitty kid in class that's like see this is what happens when you don't follow the rules like he's like <sighs> i just don't like he's coming on a little strong here and it's just like dude on the ambulance bay you were fine you were doing the right thing and then in here you're you're fucking up and i just eh, i don't know didn't like it nah. speaking of more awful things let's go over back over to nyc uh susan is with the cops they're yelling for chloe and bosco of course making fun of the hopeless homeless encampment because haha those those people that are, that are in a really shitty situation i should kick them while they're down that's the nypd motto hey. uh we have and we see we have chloe yay her breathing is shallow but there's no Susie around uh, they need to get some more Narcan. They can't get a line on Chloe. Susan can't help because she's not a licensed paramedic. Uh, she can't help the paramedics because she's not licensed to practice medicine in New York. And paramedic says she can ride with them even though it's against policy. And one, oh, one of the uh, 
paramedics is, no- is notable here because hi, Teddy from Grays. Yes. Uh, so both of our EMTs here are uh, part of the Third Watch averse. Like they are actual characters <laughs> from Third Watch who are making their little cameo appearances in this episode. Uh, they are played by actresses Kim Raver and Amy Carlson. Kim uh, has appeared in stuff like 24, Night at the Museum, and the previously mentioned uh, Abomination Grey's Anatomy. And Amy Carlson, wow. uh, she has appeared in stuff like Green Lantern, The Letter, not the episode, the movie, question mark, not going to check. Uh, and, of course, Third Watch. Teddy, one of the strangest characters in all of Grey's Anatomy. Which appendage Push. does... Uh, uh, of Teddy's contains the unexploded ordinance. Um, her baby. Okay, sure, sure, sure. Sorry, I'm just leaving that one alone. Uh, <laughs> then the drunk driver is dead. He is shuffled off this mortal coil, and Luca pronounces him while Carter is cleaning up. And Luca says she's a big girl, Carter. I don't tell people how to live. And Carter responds, and this is where we start to get into mm, Carter. Come on, my dude. He says, man, are you stupid or do you just not give a damn about her? Do you like him vulnerable so you can whatever, blah, 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 like be big strong man, blah, blah, blah. He goes, oh, are you going to beat me up? You're going to bash my head into the ground? And it is absolutely ice cold between the two of them right here. Like, yeah, we might not like what we might not like what Carter is saying, but um, these two have excellent chemistry right here. And you can't deny they make a great enemies to friends. Oh, yeah. And I'm very excited. Like, I'm very excited for that aspect of it. I'm just sorry that Abby gets caught in the middle of that. Oh, 100%. But I'm just saying, like, right here, it's just amazing to me to see where we're going to be after the Africa episodes. You know right. what I mean? Like, that they're going to go from this to saving each other. Right. Crazy. Uh, but then we go back to New York um, in their ER, and the EMT says Susan needs to sit on her hands if she has to to not inter- intervene. Um, I'm sorry, this is in the ambulance still. They lost Chloe's pulse, and her heart rate was rapid for heroin. Uh, these EMTs are framed as a little bit incompetent. Like They're like, oh, we can't intubate, we can't get a line, we can't do this, we can't do that. Whereas we see people have no problem with this half the time in ER. Doris would never. Yeah, so it's just like, it's just to make Susan more infuriated that she can't be helping because she's watching all of this horrible shit happen. She's watching her sister die. Yep. So yeah, I just, I noticed that where it's like almost everything, they're like, no, we can't get this, we can't get that. And it's like, you would never see this on ER. Uh, We then go back to the ER. Carrie is yelling at Pratt that uh, Reverend Ed is still not gone, and Pratt says that he asked Jerry to do it. Jerry passing by mentions that his sciatica is miraculously cured. Uh, and Carrie says that so is his brain. Yeah, because he says my sciatica is gone. Right, so sciatica is gone. And she says so is your brain. Um, uh, she goes over to, to tell Ed that he needs to leave, and he starts to lay hands on her. At, like, And I love the reaction from hey, Laura you. Innes. Like, the startled reaction when he puts his hand on her head is like one of the best comedic bits in this episode. Yep. Um, Carter mentions to Pratt that Stanley's going to live. Pratt's kind of uh, smug about it and is like, oh, I did the right thing. He's like, no, dummy, you got lucky this time. Uh, we see a woman asking for Carrie from the Women's Health Coalition, and I'm struggling to remember if this goes anywhere in upcoming episodes because it feels like a weird thing to like shoehorn in. I, I think it might be related to the lesbian side. No, yeah, I, I, fi- I, I figured that's what it was like referencing mm. most closely, but like then I was like, 
why did we just like tack this on at the very yeah. end to go nowhere? Um, because you don't even see Carrie talk to the woman. You just see her come up to Carter looking for Carrie, and and he points her in the right direction. But in any event. Uh, Abby then apologizes to Carter for being short with him earlier. She doesn't want him worrying about her because the air quotes here, they are too complicated. There's too much history with us. What's what's complicated? Us. Uh, you and me. Uh, uh, <sighs> you ever you ever have that feeling where like you know you need to fart, but like no matter how hard you push, it won't come out? That's what the entirety of season nine is gonna be like for me. Like of just just angry fart pains <laughs> like i'm just gonna have the most uncomfortable oh. feeling in my gut of just like oh this, this hurts this hurts me to watch and no matter how hard i push nothing comes out <laughs> you know and then then we'll get to the end of season nine and it'll all just be one stt toot squad uh, don't don't get do, right don't right. give me sticker ideas woman don't do it <laughs> Uh, let's go back to New York, uh, to an ER, to an ER in New York. Uh, there's we see some huge track marks from Chloe's arm. I'm just like, what gauge needle is she using? To- and what was she like, using? Those are, because those, they they mentioned yeah. in the in the ambulance that they don't think it's heroin because her heart rate's too high. So like, so what 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 went into her arm? I have no idea, but that's horrifying. But uh. Chloe's awake, Chloe's awake and Susan is asking where Susie is and Chloe's like, oh yeah, she's with me. And she doesn't know where she left her and oh, maybe he took her and he broke my heart and thank and, God, Daniel. Yeah, so uh, if you don't watch the uh, the third watch half of the crossover, if we're just strictly talking about ER canon, this is the last appearance of Chloe. Chloe will never be seen again. I believe there is a brief mention in the early parts of the letter where they sort of verbally wrap up this storyline for the people who didn't bother to watch Third Watch. There's a little brief, uh, like, oh, yeah, here's what happened, like, kind of rundown. But it's very brief, very passing. The character of Chloe and little Susie, for that matter, are both gone forever. Um, And what a weird, what a weird excuse to bring a character back out of the Shadow Realm for. I'm so ready to be done with first with third watch after this weekend. Oh my god! So the uh, two minute Chloe retrospective coming to a Patreon <laughs> near you. One episode was enough, but then uh, we go back to Abby in her apartment. She wakes up to a banging noise and goes and checks her locks. Settles down on the couch, staring at a half empty beer bottle. Now I was about to put half empty or half full. You decide. Um, but she grabs her phone and then puts it down and turns on the TV instead and mindlessly flips through channels so clearly thinking about some stuff and i always wondered here if she was considering calling coburn Mm, well i don't think coburn's her sponsor yet i thought coburn was her sponsor to begin with i don't know i don't know when they established that continuity wise i'm sure at least half a dozen people will tell me in the comments uh when this episode comes out and on discord there will be like in my head canon she in my head canon she was thinking about calling her sponsor which in my mind, is I, I will as of accept. Right now. I will accept that headcanon, but I don't. I, I don't know when they establish that uh, Coburn is Abby's sponsor. Yep, and then we go to Susan staring over the New York City skyline, and the lady cop, because I couldn't be bothered to write her name down, says there's no sign of Susie, but they have officers canvassing the precinct, and the cops want to talk to Chloe, and Susan's like, "Well, what's 
is there any hope? Because I heard that it's real bad if you don't find them in the first 12 hours, you know, which is like what we hear on every single cop drama ever. Mm -hmm. Um, And kind of an echo to how the ER doctors stay when they have a very, very challenging patient of the week. Uh, This woman's shift was over a few hours ago, but she stayed through to at least like get to a good scene break. And uh, Susan says she does not want to go to a hotel because she will not be able to sleep. And that's fucking it. Like if you, like I said, yep. if you don't watch the third watch episode, this is where they leave you. And like we see it pop up on the on the Facebook groups all the time from people being like, "Whatever happened to little Susie? Like, do they ever like if you didn't do the legwork yourself to go watch the other half of this episode, you just assume that this child is like, like I said, they do sort of like hand wavy mention it at the beginning of the letter of like, yeah, everything turned out fine, but like this is wild. Yeah. This is I'm gonna. This is one of the things I hate most about Grey's Anatomy. Honestly, in the later seasons, is how ingrained they become with uh, shit. What's it called? Station Nineteen mm. is the is their spinoff show. Yeah. Even though Third Watch isn't a spinoff of ER, mm. I'm glad they only do this the, ever the one time yeah. because it is insufferable on Grey's Anatomy when they do it because it's like I don't care about Station Nineteen. Right. That show sucks. Like. I'm not going to watch a crappy TV show just to get the other, other some more context for my storylines here. Yeah. And I hate it when shows do this. Like, no, bring those characters in. Have this be a two-parter or something like that. Right. I don't know what else you would add in here to, like, because obviously they're interspersing stuff with, um, uh, brain isn't a brain. Or just make, yeah, just make the next episode just, I don't know. But I hate when shows force you to watch other shows mm-hmm. to, like, full, uh, fully get... The context. Yeah, the, the context. Yeah. And I say this as an MCU fan. <laughs> <laughs> and before Jake gets all up on my dick about this, like, I fully understand that that's what's up with the Marvel Cinematic Universe... That is expected when you go when you go into that. That's when you're like talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know it's a whole thing. There is no ER third watch extended universe. Clearly, look how many of these characters bleed over uh, in different roles. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very blurred lines too, there. Yeah, I hate and it. I just I hate it. Yeah, this show. I mean, this this I almost said this show sucks. ER does not suck. This episode sucks, though. This episode gets a 6 out of 10 for me. And just because there's, like, a lot of it is aggressively fine. And the parts that stick out like sore thumbs are, like, the biggest sore thumbs you'll have ever have in your entire life. <laughs> it's just, like, the, like, you know, like you said, your, your whole thesis there was that, you know, crossover episodes are just tricky in general. Like, they're, I think they're very tricky to get right. Like to do a satisfying crossover episode, you have one. You have mm-hmm. crossover episodes sometimes that are like fine, or or like they do it in a creative way, or like th- there's some conceit to it that makes them. Um, but I feel like that's like the best you can hope for. Like I don't know of any like truly great crossover episodes where people are like, "Oh man, you have to see when this show crossed over with this show." No, you don't. Like th- those just don't. You really Those don't. just don't exist for me because, to, generally speaking, it's kind of a like, 
a naked ploy to like get people who watch the other show to start watching the other show and like let these two things feed off of each other and so like it's just like you said you care about one half of the equation you don't generally give much of a shit if any about the other half of the equation and so you're either gonna like be left with an unsatisfying episode of the show you like or one episode that you maybe give half a shit about about a show that you never care about ever again so Mm -hmm. it's you know eh. and like i do sort of think that like the only way you could salvage this episode is just make it susan's avengers movie episode like make it make it just Mm -hmm. strictly susan dealing with this like take a break from the er for the do it out of the er episode which we know people love oh so much like they like that that scene at the end is shot on location in new york they clearly like they clearly were willing to go do some of that stuff on location shots so i don't see why you couldn't have done the entire episode that way and just you know, I don't know. It's just it's just unsatisfying. Everything feels shoehorned in this week. Everything feels like we're just spinning our wheels, wasting our time, waiting for Mark to die. So it's just mm-hmm. eh. it's coming soon, folks. Yeah. Don't love it. Why why do I even bother giving a rating at the end of these? You guys say everything I would. Five and a half, the only reason it's getting above a five is because of that scene with Romano and Lizzie. Should we do listener Lesbian. No, it's getting a six out of ten for me because lesbian. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Okay. It gets up to a six because of that. But Lauren, what do the listeners have to say about it? Uh, Eileen M says, as if crossovers aren't bad enough, they also decided to relive that Chloe story again. I've never seen Third Watch, and it's annoying to have to find that Third Watch episode to get closure on that story. I didn't. I believe that Chloe is never mentioned again after the next episode, so this was really random. And those cops, 2023, definitely does not approve of their violence. Also annoying, Carter. While he was right to be shocked to see Abby drinking and address his concerns, he should have stopped after that. Be prepared. This will last from now until the end of season nine. Yay. Uh, Rodney C. says, as per usual, I'm sure Carter will get a a ton of hate, this time for his reaction to Abby drinking. I don't think he did or reacted any differently than Abby would have, and I understand his reaction. Abby, for sure, would have been just as mad about Abby's reasoning for why it was okay to drink now, being that she is a different person now. It obviously doesn't work that way. But the issue with Carter for me is that he often takes things too far. In this episode, it's how he comes at Luca. The writers also have a tendency to write Abby as if she's a possession to both of them, and it's just not a good look. That's a good point. Third Watch is all on Tubi for free now, so it is able to be watched. Third Watch is very watchable, kind of like the 911 of its time. Bosco is always a hard character to watch if you don't see all of him. It would be like just watching Pratt from a random episode in season 9 and thinking you fully know him. They didn't go too much into it, but Faith is a mother, one of them being a girl and her husband has drinking problems, so this all probably hit her more than you might have seen in a character. Lastly, I like the main point of this episode, even if it's depressing. Once an addict, always an addict. It's something you always have to fight. You always have to work on it. And last, but certainly not least, at the full-time dad says, One of the things that sticks with me from this episode is it's our last mention of one Dr. David Tiberius Malucci and Gallant telling Carter, No, not all black folks look alike. 
Beyond that, I know greater minds will opine about Carter's HIPAA violation and Luca's libertarian attitude towards Abby's drinking. <laughs> I'll remember this episode as the, the Susan reboot, and for the way they carefully wove in Mark's story like pieces of a puzzle that gets unlocked when you watch On the Beach. It's never been one of my favorite episodes, and its placement in binge rewatches disrupts the momentum Orion and the Sky creates, but in real time 2002, there was a month break between Orion and this one, so I can understand the purpose. A well-publicized crossover episode always gets eyeballs and viewers back on the show before the big finish. But could we have had done without the detour? Yes. Yeah, I do think, uh, like, he, he makes a, a good point in there, too. Like, I do think that more so than almost any episode I can think of, my opinion of it from when I watched the first time to now watching for this, maybe the biggest pendulum swing from one to the other. Because my memory of Brothers and Sisters was, oh, it's the third watch crossover, and it's the Susan, you know, it's the kind of closing, finally closing of the loop with, with Chloe and little Susie. Like, I remembered that being at least solid. Mm-hmm. And I was really shocked and surprised to see how cold this episode left me of just like, and it wasn't even, it like we've had really bad episodes. We've had episodes where we went like, man, this fucking sucks. And I didn't even feel like that with this episode. I didn't feel like it sucked. I just felt like it was like, why did we do any of this? <laughs> like it felt pointless. And so like Which, that was what's your plan. Right. What what was the what was the goal here? That was kind of where I ended up with it. So I think it, it might be one of the episodes that has had the biggest swing in my personal opinion of it from when I watched the first time to my most recent watch of it of any episode fair all right well that's about gonna wrap up our episode for today thank y'all very much for listening as always the show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash silent town podcast for only one dollar a month you can get access to our show notes each week and for only five dollars a month you can get an assortment of stickers including one featuring our favorite desk clerk jerry Two week early access to any future cast and crew interviews, and over 70 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, a free form monthly bonus show called The Lounge, movie reviews where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member, and character retrospectives where we reflect on departed main cast members. We would also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at Sighting the Tone Podcast on Instagram, and we are on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sighting the Tone Podcast. Also, be sure to check out the official Say in the Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel. Where can folks find you at? Or you can find me on Instagram at dan.u. That is Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Uh, folks can find me on my Instagram at lobo92345, where it's pretty much just climbing videos now. Right. You can find me on Twitter. I am at RandomGamer. That's J-A-M-3-R. Uh, thanks again to everyone very much for listening. Please join us again next time and have a great week. <laughs> <laughs>